0: 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, First Peter chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 6, this is our 19th, I believe, session, if uh, you're checking and following, etc. later, uh, but for today, open your Bible and let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, without revisiting everything, we're going to keep moving. And we mentioned this verse six at the end of the last session. We stopped at verse five. So verse six says, For this cause. Now that is connecting for this cause is connecting. It's a connecting statement. Just like any other thing you would read that has a clausal statement to it. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Now it does not say we're dead, okay? And the picture is that the gospel was preached to people. Now, it is obvious that there are different ways in which God has dealt with people through the years. And there's no need to stumble at this. The main reason people stumble at how God deals with people through the ages, the 4,000 years leading up to the time of Jesus Christ on earth, And then since then, since his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, his offer to Israel of the kingdom in light of his having come in Acts chapters 1-6. to And then the change that happens when, as a nation, they refuse him for now. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 7, on through the end of the book of Acts. You can read it in Romans chapter 9 and 11. So, we're just going to deal with this briefly Verse six people stumble at this. He says, for, and they read it kind of like this for this cause was a gospel preached, and also, also to them that are, that were dead. And, uh, we don't know why, <laughs> but the picture is doesn't say they are dead. They were dead. They were dead. And so the gospel has been preached from Genesis chapter three forward. The manifestation of the gospel is, has not been the same as we see it today as described in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But when the Lord passed the curse on to the human race because of the human race disobedience, reference Romans chapter 5, okay? When he did, he gave them a promise. He said, I will put it... In- Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel who is he speaking to? verse 14 the Lord God said unto the serpent so the serpent already has you might say a generation he had some followers he has a spirit about him he has a seed that he sows okay now that they have disobeyed in the same way that lucifer did isaiah 14 ezekiel 28 and fell from his place of the anointed cherub over the throne in the same manner that he fell the same manner adam fell wherefore by one man's disobedience okay romans chapter 5 so without belaboring it understand this that from genesis 3 on God was preaching to his people what to do to be in fellowship, relationship, etc. Okay? So, the gospel has been preached. There's a difference. The manifestation of it has been down through the years. For example, Abraham believed God, and it was counted in for righteousness, Romans chapter 4, etc. It happens in Genesis 15. So, when Abraham believes God he took God at his word. God then appropriates, he imputes, your Bible calls it imputation, he imputes righteousness. David speaks of it in his Psalms, talks about it in Romans. That's not our subject right now, but just to point out that when you read a verse, take into account the clear teaching. Never interpret an obscure passage of scripture never interpret a clear passage of scripture in light of an obscure one, but vice versa. When you come to something that just seems a little bit like, say, a tongue twister, when you come to something that seems to be obscure, look at it in light of what we know. What we know is God looks on faith. Now, we don't get to decide individually how to express our faith. God tells us how to express our faith. So Abraham believed God for that. Moses said, if you believe God, bring an offering, bring the blood of a lamb. Uh, We know from Genesis 4 on that that blood of an innocent creature, the lamb that God chose, he chose to use a lamb, what more innocent creature could you think of to shed its blood for someone who has sinned, but the harmless little lamb. So for this cause was the gospel preached also to them. What cause? <clears throat> that verse five, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? The whole basis is that we will stand in judgment individually before God. The thing that Jonah was mad about, pouted about, was that God gave them a chance to get right. And when God gave them that chance to get right, he got his self all twisted around, got his nose out of joint. and he was upset that God was going to give this offer to the people that he felt had wronged his people and deserved no mercy whatsoever. So, it's a situation where someone is given a reminder that they've heard it. You say, can it be saved, folk? It could be. Before Christ let him out, he could be referred to that. So remember, when you read it, now watch. For this cause was a preach, the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men of the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, one quick thing. Come over to the book of Ephesians. Hang on left and come to Ephesians. Understand this. And I was saying this on Sunday to a class. I said, remember that when historically he's writing to the churches go to Ephesians uh, chapter 4 we'll look at a couple passages in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4 and when he wrote to those people in 96 95 96 AD they'd already had 25 to 30 years of circulating all the epistles and when Simon Peter writes he is already influenced by the epistles of Paul, okay? So when we think about Simon Peter's epistles around 65, say 66 AD, we remember that he he refers to Paul in 2 Peter 3. He says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as in the word wrestle. They wrestle with it. They grab it. They get hold of it. They don't know what to do with it, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So there are so many truths that God put forth during these time periods of the early church. When Paul writes, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Now he that ascended, what is, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So there's a, definitely a reference to what Christ did when, he, left, when they, he died on the cross and went down into the heart of the earth. This were and are dead, Ephesians 2. That was Ephesians 4, two chapters back, Ephesians 2. Go ahead and get there. Ephesians 2, all right? And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins, it, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, etc. So understand that, that this is an accountability issue. They live according to God in the spirit. Now in verse 7, he begins to speak about the imminent return. Paul speaks of an imminent return. Uh, John talks about it. You say, well, how could it be imminent if it's 2,000 years? 2,000 years is very short time to God. Uh, be careful of trying to expect and require God to speak to you in your terms and in your measurement rather than hearing what he has to say and responding to his measurements and his terms. For example, thousand years with the Lord is as a day and a day is a thousand years. So if there's 7,000 years going to be on the earth until he makes things new after the millennium, okay, if there is, and there is, and the Old Testament is approximately 4,000 years from the time they leave the garden. We don't know about the time before they fall in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. But since then, it's about 4,000 years. You say, how do you do that? You do that by counting people's lives, the genealogies, etc. Paul warns about trying to divide your Bible up by exact years when he warns about endless genealogies. See, people like to get stuck into, they like to get obsessed with the things that interest them. But there's a problem. God warns us about letting that happen. So he warns about the endless genealogies, about people trying to, You know, it was written exactly this year. No, God always uses primarily approximates. He used the word about, Jesus did, in speaking of time. So, four days. Okay? So now, four days pass, Jesus comes, the church age starts. The church age is going to be approximately two days. So we're at the end of the week. So if your week starts on Sunday, okay, first day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What is Wednesday always called? Hump day, isn't it? In other words, it's more downhill than uphill. Because you've got Thursday, Friday. See? Then you've got Saturday, the Sabbath, that seventh day. And then a new day. A new week. And that's when the New Jerusalem, eight, an octave. New beginning on your musical scale. New beginning on the piano, etc. So... We are at the end, see? But the end of all things is at hand. It's very close and it has been imminent and God set things up to where it could have happened any time. It's okay looking back to say, okay, here's what we've seen happen and this and that, but be very, very careful trying to look forward and figure it out. I don't see any example where prophecy was understood at the beginning of the prophecy, it's always clear at the end, looking back. And God gives it for us to prepare, okay? But he also gives it as a testimony that we can look back and say, see, God described this. One of the main things I think of is Joseph's dream. Joseph shares this dream. He has no idea what it means. It was right for him to do it. Regardless, everybody's saying he was precocious, etc. cetera. You're thinking in human terms again. Well, he made his brothers hate him. No, they chose to hate him. Get away from behavioral, humanistic psychology. Please, for your sake, for those around you's sake, for the kingdom of God's sake, ditch the behavioral, humanistic psychology. Those boys did not have to hate him. In fact, they could have understood God must be talking to him and we don't know how it's going to fulfill, so we need to get our hearts right. But you see, those fellas, those sons, were disobeying their father. And that's the report that Joseph brought back, an honest report about him before they ever sold him into slavery. So he had his dream and he broadcast it. You say, well, he should have just kept it to himself. No, he shouldn't have. They would not have noticed and seen the dream come true if he didn't broadcast it. If he waited till the end and it all happened, he goes, you know, fellas, I had this dream. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Joseph. But oh, when it happened, he saw it when they bowed down to him as that second ruler, only second to Pharaoh. And when they realized they had to bow down to him, it became very clear, okay? Such is prophecy, looking back. So he says, verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. So it's an imminent return. And this thing of be sober is, The idea of having the right view of this world and of life, it doesn't mean don't laugh. It doesn't mean have sanctified humor. Make sure your humor is sanctified. It's so easy to fall into a crass human way. I grew up around livestock. When you work with livestock that are dangerous, I mean, in the last few months, different kind of people, young people, older people, uh, died working with horses, died working with cattle, uh, it happens, okay? You When you're around that harsh environment, if there's no God and no praise and no grace, you get crass. The language gets crass, gets base, the attitude, and then the humor gets that way. And if you're not careful, child of God, you' you got your Sunday thing on and listen, I know preachers who get this way. To me, that's way more offensive than almost anything they could do because they're they're, they're developing a hypocrisy that only God can see, but they're tainting the people closest to them. That, to me, is is a bad thing. It's offensive. He said, be sober and watch under prayer. Now, it's a command. It's an instruction. I know. Most of you think, well, these are just ideas and suggestions, and that's how I want my preacher and teacher to be. Well, that's not a good thing. Now, if your preacher or teacher has given you all kind of personal preferences about you know, what's, what's, what's uh, tasty to eat and what's the right kind of clothes to have and what brand and all that, just ignore them. They're a little too full of themselves. If a person is not filled up enough with the Word of God to give you the Word of God and let God tell you what to do, they need to go back and get filled up with the Word of God. There's a brand of preaching today that spends more time letting you know what their personal preferences are as if it matters. Now, they'll tell you, get off of social media, etc. But all they're doing in the pulpit is the same thing that everyone else is doing in social media. It's just that their media is the pulpit. That's just free. All right. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch under prayer. So, we're to be sober-minded. We are to have a very spiritually sober view of life. Not somber, but sober. Have you ever noticed, I don't know if you've done some track work, did some recently track work and stuff, and you get around people, and the people you deal with in the evening or night at certain events, they've already gotten to where they're not sober. They may not be completely swacked out drunk, but they're not sober. And people in the daytime are more sober in the morning, normally. However, today, the world has gotten people intoxicated, not with alcohol, but with self and with sports, uh, even with scientific stuff, so to speak, science falsely so-called. So what's happened is the spirit of soberness is not there. And he puts these two together. Be be therefore sober and watch under prayer. The two go hand in hand. A child of God will not pray like they should, and like is needed for the work of God's sake, if they don't keep sober minded. A sober minded helps you with your choices. Sober minded helps you with your priorities. You look at your day and you choose. And really, it, it would help you a lot the night before to choose at least how to start the first half of your day and prioritize it. Well, the person who who lets themselves be frivolous and, and uh, you know, it gets to be a Thursday night or Friday morning and all they can do is is think about uh, the old brand of clothing that came out called WFTW, Working for the Weekend. That's all they can think about. And people start, their productivity slacks off on Fridays in many, many different uh areas of work in many different fields and offices and trades and stuff. And the problem is they don't keep, they're not having a sober attitude towards life, but especially child of God, towards the work of God, which is your life. It's not what you do as in your position, like say a pastor, a teacher, a music director, a worship leader, etc. all these different terms they have. No, it's about me as a child of God. Be ye therefore sober. Now, it's a great admonition because it's the temptation is to not be. When we are sober, we're clear-headed, we're clear-thinking, and we have priorities. And then he says, and watch under prayer. The two go hand in hand, I promise you, you. A child of God, you will not, child of God, have a really, really, really powerful prayer life. When I say powerful, it doesn't mean you can write down say, I've prayed this and God did it. Not always. But you have a prayer life when your mind and your heart can focus on others in prayer. Not just in a little session, but throughout the day. Throughout your life. Be ye, therefore, sober. It's be, like be ye holy, be ye filled with the Spirit, be ye sober. It's a choice. Now that choice is influenced by what I take in. Uh, Let's take alcohol. When you take it in, it affects you. If you took in drugs, if you took in substances, it affects you. But if you take in news and you take in noise, it affects you. And the thing about that, that is that when it affects you like that, it can take away from our soberness. And it's... It's honestly very, very prevalent today that it would happen. Uh, a, a couple little verses in your in just we'll throw them in here real quick. Oh come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And the picture is creating your own noise. Okay? Now the world is full of noise. I think we all know that. And the the thing of it is we have to deal with it. Uh, we did a message, I don't know when it was, it's, it's uh, online about dealing with the noise. There's one, Psalm 65. Verse 7, Which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. So, a storm is the kind he's talking about here still the noise of the seas the noise of their waves he's not talking about sitting there you know on the shore where it's quiet and there's nobody running around you know half naked or naked and you know all that frivolousness but just picture an isolated place and you're sitting on the edge of the shore and those waves are peacefully rolling in and they've got science now that tells you that you know that it's releasing ions into the atmosphere, and that's why being there at the coast helps you and can heal people. And they've done that for centuries without knowing the science. It's not that kind of noise. I'm talking about stilling the noise, Psalm 65, 7. So we have to still the noise so we don't take it in. See, We're not, we, we have to control what we take in. And it's not just preachers getting up. And I know sometimes preachers do this. They just get up and sound like they're just ranting and raving because they want you to listen to them, you think. Or they want you to just listen to the Bible. Or they're trying to shut you off. Or they're worried about what you'll hear and them not being able to defend it. That is not the case at all. I will say this to you. If you're a really active Christian, and let's say you go to your Sunday morning Bible study, Sunday school, Bible fellowships, all the different names they have, you do that. And you go to Sunday morning preaching. And you go to Sunday night preaching. And you go to Wednesday night midweek study. Let's just say each of those, they're not. Most usually, you're not going to get a full hour where you listen to the Word of God. There might be cases where a a person will put that out, but that's because they're probably not putting out the rest of the week. Which is appropriate, is what I'm saying. In other words, that's a, that's a, a full dose to take with you. But generally, you're going to go 30, 45 minutes. So... You add all that up, but if you if you made each of those an hour, that's four hours a week. Four hours a week. If you take Sunday away at all, and that's if, that's if as a believer, you give God your Sunday so you don't listen to news or none of that stuff. So you take six days, okay? If you got 10 hours of sleep per night, Sounds great. (laughs) It would be wonderful too, wouldn't it? Okay? So that leaves 14 hours per day. You're awake. It's times six days. So that's 84 hours a week. Take away your four hours of church. That's 80 hours of awakeness. Do you really believe that you're going to be able to take in all the stuff that's available when you're driving your car, when you're even sitting at work and people got stuff on or they got their earbuds in, all that, that you're going to be able to deal with all that noise with just four hours a week to counteract it. No, you, you're not. No, no, no. You've got to cut the noise down. Not the noise at church. You know what's happened? Some, somebody somewhere decided well, we've got to change this culture. We're going to convince them that, you know, they're getting too much Bible. They're getting too much preaching and teaching. Really? Are they now? But they can have tens and 20 and 30 hours per week on social media, on videos, on audios that have nothing to do with God. Or they're a side, side note on God. Or there's some, you know, subject that people are, you know, delving into. No, no. Now, you may not see that in verse 8, but I do. Or verse 7. The end of all things is at his hand. Be ye therefore. He could come any minute. Any minute he could come. I'll tell you what to do. Ask yourself this at, at random times throughout the day. Do I want to be doing this when he comes? Now, not your work, if your work's fine and noble and honest. But do you want to be doing what you sneak off and do at work sometimes? Or what you what you do at on your own time do you want to be doing that when he comes verse eight and above all things this is like having a priority list so let's say we took uh be sober and watching a prayer and we put it right at the top and then he says now i had to leave those couple lines above that because now we're going to go above that and above all these things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins if you want to think about this word fervent, it's warm-hearted. Fervency is a warmness if you'll go to your English dictionary. It's, you're putting it before just plain doctrine, okay? It's, It's very, very important that you have fervent charity. Now, charity is not turning the grace of God into lascivious. Some have done that. I get that. But what we need to understand is that when we begin to look at these things, we realize, you know, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man of much, it's got to be in our heart. There's a, a, a burning about it. There's a fervency about it that God gives us. And the, what we want to do is we want to be able to redeem them the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much 1 Peter 5 16 and then he says brethren verse 19 of James 5 if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death <coughs> excuse me and shall hide a multitude of sins are you trying to cover up somebody's wickedness? no <coughs> be kind ones another Ephesians 4 30 28 through 30 be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. How? 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 Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. See, you can't get away from this Bible without it, it reproving you a little bit and going you on and challenging you. And, and And you can't study this book without that happening. That's the purpose of these epistles. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Above all these things, have fervent charity. Why? It'll cover a multitude of sins. You know what you have to be able to do to get along with people? You've got to be able to forgive them and put what they do wrong behind them, behind you. You know why? Because they have to for your sake. Have you ever thought about that? I know a lot of people don't. I, I know. I, I, I used to wonder that, buddy, they don't. Here's one for you. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Now, we've we've known people, we've all known people, you may have done it, who would cut people slack because they were family. Cut people slack because they loved them. It's in an earthly sense. But here, it's one another, as in the brotherhood, sisterhood of God, Christians. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Who's the yourselves? It's not your physical earthly family. Hopefully, they're in church. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But it's not that. It's not that at all. It's about having fervent charity among believers. That's why Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have loved one to another. When you love the brotherhood of Christians, you're loving people that many times you don't have anything really in common with. And you might actually really, really cross against each other, sandpaper against sandpaper, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Above all things. So he gives us these priorities, and then he says, now I want you to write this up above. You know, a a good mother, a typical mother, doesn't just hide the defects of her child, she beautifies them, (laughs) okay? And there's a sense in which a mother and a father's love are an example. A good one. We're not talking about bad ones. But here, we have so many admonitions from God about himself that what we need to do is have fervent charity. Charity is love in action. I wouldn't change that word at all if I was you. It doesn't need to be retranslated. When, some, when the world takes a word and... and and waters it down to nothing, ask yourself why and go back and find the real use of that word and don't change your Bible. You can weaken your Bible by changing that word. Charity is a step way beyond just mere love. Write down in your margin, 1 Corinthians 13. You know the passages, okay? They're there. So the, the great thing is, without running a, a bunch of cross references, our time's up for this session, Remember that he gives us this priority. He says, live soberly. You know, remember he tells y'all to live soberly, righteous, godly in this present world, okay? Here he says, be therefore sober, watch unto prayer, and above all things. So you've got these things going, and God says, reach up above there, write this in, fervent charity. Read 1 Corinthians 13 frequently. I, would. I wouldn't let a month go by I wouldn't read it the part about charity remind yourself now you're not you're not going to be able to you know by sheer discipline manifest it but when it's not being manifested say Lord I'm obviously not in touch with thy spirit the way I ought to be in thy word and I'm going to bring myself into 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 relation with it I'm into harmony with it and if I need to get something right if I need to confess a bad attitude listen focusing on someone's sins what they do wrong will kill your joy and will kill your relationship with them quickly now if a person is doing absolutely wrong you can talk to them you can pray for them that's not the same because love also does uh faithful are the wounds of a friend fervent charity doesn't go and just rip the person apart and doesn't talk to everyone else might go to that person and with a true heart of love, try to help them get restored. Galatians chapter six, verse one. All right, that's enough for for now. We'll pick it up next time in verse nine. Father, we pray you take these words and use them. Pray take this teaching and use it. We ask the Father in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.